Good morning. Today's uh, passage of scripture is Mark 15, verses 1 through 15. And as soon as it was morning, and the chief, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and whole council, they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release to them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in the prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he normally did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what should I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. You may be seated. Thank you, Seth, for leading us in worship, and thank you, Clint, for reading for us this morning. Would you pray with me before we get started? Father, thank you so much for the fact that we have your word. I pray, asking that you would please apply these eternal truths to our hearts. Lord Jesus, you said that your words are spirit and that they're life. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, cause your living word to make us live, Lord. I pray for those who are here that might not know you yet, of course, Father, please be drawing them to yourself, Lord, granting them repentance and helping them to come to see you for who you are, turning from their sins, placing faith in you. For those of us who do know you, Father, I pray, be building us up, please, in the most holy faith. And we know one of the means that you do that, Lord, is through the preaching of the word of God. So, Father, I pray Please, Lord, do that work that only you can do. Apply these truths to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Let me welcome you again to worship with us this morning. For those of you who are visiting who might not know who I am, my name is Cohen Ezel, and I'm the pastor of Christ Fellowship, and we're very glad that you're here. So where we are in Mark, for those of you who are also new, we just walk all the way through a book chapter by chapter, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, because that's the way it was written, and the Lord wants us to know all about it. And so we just break it down like that. Where we are now in Mark 15, verses 1 through 15, is we read in our text that now it's morning, we're told. And just over the past night, you might recall from a few weeks ago uh, that Jesus has been, first of all, wrongly tried by the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Jewish court. He's been mocked. He's been mistreated, beaten, spit upon. And Peter has just denied even knowing him. 
three times. That's where we find ourselves in what's going on here. What we're going to find is that the tendency to appease man doesn't just stop with Peter's mishap. Remember where Peter, um, at the longing to be approved in the eyes of man, denied knowing Jesus, and it doesn't just stop with him. Uh, We're going to see that Pontius Pilate also has that same disease. That's why I've titled the message this morning, The Fear of Man is a Snare. The fear of man is a snare. Wanting to be a people pleaser is something that unfortunately runs deep in the human heart. No one is immune to it. I'm not. You're not. We've all struggled with this. And if we're honest, I would say we still struggle with it. I cannot say that I've overcome it. The Lord has helped me tremendously as I've grown up in age, and just also especially grown up in the faith. But you feel it, I felt it, and it comes in many shapes and sizes and comes for a multitude of different reasons. The temptation to want to please man instead of pleasing God. Now, concerning the chief priests, elders, scribes, the people that are the enemies of Jesus Christ. They want to please themselves, most of all, we see here. They're, they're pushing their own agenda for selfish reasons because they see Jesus as a threat to their own rule and to their own reputation. They want him out of here. Even Pilate can see that. That's why you saw in verse 10, it says that he perceived that they did this out of envy. They were envious of Jesus Pilate also, though, we see here, is a people pleaser. And we see that he's also a bit of a coward. He's a bit of a pushover, we find in our text here, which we're going to talk more about, because he ends up succumbing to the will of the people and giving them, ultimately, what what they want, even against his own better judgment. So, In verse 1, we find that Jesus is now bound, we're told, and he's led to Pilate. Who is Pilate? Pontius Pilate was a a Roman governor over the area of Judea. And Israel, Israel sort of shaped like my hand. Judea is the southern region. Pilate was the governor over all that region. That's why in other portions of Scripture we see Jesus tossed back and forth between Pontius Pilate and then also uh, the Jewish king Herod because Herod uh, was also responsible for dealing with people from up north. And so when Pilate finds out, oh, he's from Galilee, well, then send him to Herod. Pilate, as a Roman governor over this area, he gets mentioned another time in Scripture, not for a good thing, for unfortunately a very wicked thing. He's responsible for killing some Jewish men who are right in the middle of worshiping God and making sacrifices to their God, the God, we're told that he mixes the blood of the sacrifice with their own blood, meaning he slays them while they're worshiping. So he was was somewhat brutal. 
We know that he's responsible for Jesus' crucifixion, but he's also responsible for many other people's crucifixions as well. This was not unique to Jesus, and from what I've learned, responsible for possibly even thousands of crucifixions. <clears throat> Pontius Pilate finds him, finds his way into a few creeds. If you've ever been to a church that was a bit more liturgical, children, if you're wondering what that word means, certain churches have certain ways of doing the service that involves like readings and standing up and sitting down, and we call those churches more liturgical. They have these scheduled readings. I've been to a church that, that read the Apostles' Creed. Maybe you've heard of the Apostles' Creed. Maybe you've heard of the Nicene Creed. Pontius Pilate finds his way into both of those. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, that's part of the Apostles' Creed. Was crucified under Pontius Pilate, that's in the Nicene Creed. So he found himself into both of those creeds. The idea of um, Pilate being this people pleaser is going to be found in our text because we see ultimately he does give Jesus over to the people, doesn't he, to be crucified. And that's really why he makes his way into history as we know it today. After verse 1 in our text, he's given over. Luke, thank God we have four Gospels. Luke gives us even more information about something that was uh, said here by the people accusing Jesus. Listen to Luke 23, 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. That accusation and the mention of Jesus claiming to be a king is what leads Jesus, um, Pilate rather, to then ask Jesus in our text, in verse 2, are you the king of the Jews? If it seemed a bit out of place in our text, you're like, oh, he's there before Pilate, and all of a sudden he's just like, are you the king of the Jews? Where'd that come from? That's where it came from, this accusation that the Jews made against Jesus. He claims himself to be a king. That's why we get in Mark 15 too, are you the king of the Jews? There's some further discourse that John provides for us after Pilate says this to Jesus. We get even more conversation, which is very vital to where we're going. So look at John 18, 33 through 38. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me. See, Jesus knows Pilate's not asking out of uh, a real concern. Pilate's not asking out of a genuine desire to, to know the answer to this. Jesus knows that. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. So Jesus was definitely a king, <laughs> but not in the way Pilate was thinking. Pilate 
does not have a category in his brain to understand the kingship, the heavenly kingship of Jesus Christ. That's why we see Jesus neither affirming or denying what Pilate says here. You say I'm a king. Because Jesus knows that only those who are of the truth listen to his voice. Pilate says to him in verse 38 of John 18, what is truth? What is truth? Pilate scoffs at Jesus' answer when he mentions truth at all. What is truth? What even is it? Not realizing that truth is a person the person with whom he is speaking to at that moment. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is truth, Pilate? You're talking to him. The man, Jesus Christ, he is the truth. He speaks and creates scripture. His word is living. But still, Scoffing or not, Pilate can tell Jesus doesn't seem to be as worthy of punishment as the chief priests and scribes and Pharisees are claiming him to be. Because we find in verse 3 that they were accusing Jesus of many things. But then in verse 4 and 5 of our text, Pilate is wondering why Jesus isn't defending himself. Don't you have anything to say? Because these people that are accusing you, why aren't you taking up for yourself? Jesus doesn't seek to justify himself before man. He doesn't need to. Why is that? Because he knows that he's just in the eyes of God. He's not there to please man. He's alive to please God. He doesn't seek man's approval because... He's already got his father's approval. And why did he have his father's approval? Because he perfectly obeys the father's will. And God's will for this moment is that Jesus go to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And Jesus was going to see to it that that happened. So he says nothing. He's like the lamb mentioned in Isaiah 53, as a lamb led to slaughter opens not his mouth, so Jesus opens not his mouth. He doesn't need to take up for himself against these accusations. He is going to go to the cross. So Jesus answers nothing. But Pilate, he sees no reason to condemn Jesus. And get this, even Pilate's own wife ends up coming to him. We read about in Matthew, in Matthew 27, she tells him, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. Even Pilate's wife says, leave this, leave this dude alone. He's righteous, and my dreams have been tormenting me about him. I have nothing to do with him. So what does Pilate do? Pilate tries to give Jesus back to the people. He tries We see in verses 6 through 14, now at the feast, he used to release to them one prisoner for whom they asked, and among the rebels in prison who who had committed murder in the insurrection, apparently this is not just 
one of them. This was, must have been a big one because they called it the insurrection. It must have been recent as well because this man's still in jail for it. There was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered to them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? See Pilate, he's kind of like, okay, yes, you're right. I always release to you one person at this festival. How about the king of the Jews? Because I find no reason to condemn him anyway. So here you go. Let's choose him. For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest delivered him up at all. They're envious. They're envious of him. Pilate was a pushover. Pilate was a bit of, of, of a coward, but he didn't get to where he got for nothing. He was a bit perceptive of things. But the chief priests were told in verse 11, stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Pilate again said to them, What then shall I do with a man called the king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. It was the crowd's idea. It was actually the chief priest's idea to crucify Jesus. Wasn't even originally Pilate's. Pilate didn't come up with that originally for Jesus. The crowd did. The Jews did. This method of punishment, as you know, was not quick. It was torturous and long And that's what the Jews wanted. They wanted to see Jesus suffer. That's how much they hated him. They just just want him out of the picture. They said, no. It'll be fun to watch him suffer for hours. That's how much we hate him. Don't ever underestimate just how wicked the heart of man can be. I know we're told so often that, you know, there's really good in everyone. And I know what they mean by that. They basically mean, hey, the average Joe isn't looking to slit your throat and take your money. And I'll agree with that. But also, if this internet age has taught us anything where people can hide behind a screen and say anything they want, I think it's shown us what's actually in people's hearts, hasn't it? I think it has. That's what's been there all along. And the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And we're seeing that in extremely religious people. You know these are extremely religious people, right? These elite of the Jews had large portions of the Bible memorized and they made sacrifices And down to the T, they could tell you why this and why that about God. And they also could look Jesus in the face and say, we want to see him bleed and suffer. If you don't think you're capable of that hatred, then you don't know yourself well enough, which is why it's good that you're here this morning and why all of us are being exposed to the word of God. I love to call Sunday morning your detox from the world. This is your detox from Monday through Saturday. This is so good for us to be here. So good for us, which is why we have to be constantly saturating ourselves in the word of God. The crowd cries out, crucify him. Why do they do that? Because the chief priest stirred up the crowd to do it, we're told. This is when the pressure starts to get put on Pilate. John 19 
tells us a bit more of what happened. What I'm doing, you notice, I'm just taking the parts of Scripture that talk about this event, and I'm just laying them out in order for you just so we get a full picture. That's why you're like, oh, you're jumping around to all these books. Yeah, yeah, just to, just to help you see what happened that day. John 19, 6 through 10 gives us more of what happened. When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, we ought, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, which implies he was already afraid before. Now he's even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, oh, he's afraid, he's like, heard about the Son of God statement. So he wants to go to Jesus one-on-one. He says, where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? I mean, I'm sorry. Do you not know that I have that authority? Do you not know that I, I, can, I can set you free or I can crucify you? Don't you know that? And you're not talking to me? You're supposed to be like trying to bribe me. You're supposed to be begging. You're supposed to be doing something. And you're just sitting there silent? What's wrong with you? The fear that started welling up in Pirate, uh, Pilate rather, <laughs> was the beginning of his compromise. That fear that started to come in, that's what started his willingness to then compromise. Fear of the disapproval of people. Fear of what they might do in retaliation. Fear of possible riots, perhaps. We don't know. Some sort of insurrection might come about. What if this? What if that? He's afraid of what the people might do and maybe even what the people might think. And his fear caused him to begin to want to please the crowd. He chooses to please man rather than do what he actually knew is right. How do we know that? Well, because in verse 15 of our text in Mark 15, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, it says, released to them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate wasn't taking a stand for the Lord. We know that, okay? I'm not even trying to suggest that he's trying to take a stand for the Lord here and then the people are trying to get him to back down from that. No, 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 no. But there's a principle we can take away from his folly, can't we? A huge principle that's applicable to all of us. What's that principle? When taking a stand, a long resistance is often required. When taking a stand... A long resistance is often required. You will often have to resist the first temptation to compromise, then the next temptation, then the next. We have to build up our spiritual muscles often when it comes to standing on the truth. It doesn't, the, the deluge of resistance against you doesn't always just come in one wave. There's another wave and another wave and you have to keep standing. And it almost always begins with the fear of someone's disapproval. 
the fear of someone's disapproval. And that someone might even be a stranger. It's not always a friend or a coworker or a relative. It's not always that. Sometimes it's even just a stranger. Remember what happened with Peter? The servant girl said, aren't you one of them? He never met her before. I don't, uh, I don't know him. These are just strangers. And right out of the gate, Peter is scared of what they might think. You know, but the enemy of truth, he doesn't matter who it is. All that, all that matters to your ego and to the enemy is that you compromise on the truth. That's all that matters to your ego and the enemy. When that fear begins to rise, you start thinking about all the what ifs. What if I lose my job? What if I take, what if I take a stand for the truth and I lose my job? What if I lose a friend? What if people laugh at me? What if people talk about me behind my back? Or, this is a huge fear, usually for youth, what if the conversation gets awkward? Oh, heaven forbid. Heaven forbid things should be awkward. <laughs> it really, it, it puts it out there how we need to see it, doesn't it? Because we will compromise for some of the most foolish things. Won't we? We will. What if the lady checking me out at Walmart thinks I'm a weirdo for giving her a gospel track? God forbid the lady checking you out at Walmart thinks you're a weirdo. Heaven forbid, right? I mean, we compromise for really silly things. And I need to put it out there in front of you like that. Because guess what? You know why some of you are chuckling and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I've done it. You know why I can? Because I've done that. And I walk away saying, you are some kind of fool. I mean, really, really. But you know what it's done for me? It's built up my spiritual muscles. And it's helped me. Am I saying, I've arrived, now you just need to sit at my feet and learn from me? Heavens no. But am I saying I'm way farther along than when I was, when I was a teenager? Sure, absolutely, absolutely. But the Lord started stretching my spiritual muscles even back then. Even back then. And you know what it took? You know what it took to help me? People laughing at me. People making fun of me. Losing friends. Losing a job. And guess what? I lived. You somehow think that when the girl at Walmart might reject your gospel track, that her next move is going to be she pulls out a gun and shoots you or something. I mean, we, we really go to strange places in our brain. None of you have ever said, you know, I probably shouldn't stand on the truth because this person might stab me. None of you have ever had that fear. You haven't. And it be legitimate, I mean. Now, some of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, especially in Africa and some other places like that, they do fear a machete-wielding mob of extreme Muslims. They do fear that, and that's a real fear for them. Let's have a little more backbone, right? Maybe just a little bit more. The fear that leads to the what ifs, which can then cause you to 
compromise and, and do and say anything for man's approval. It's real. That fear will then lead to what if this, what if this, what if this, which will then lead to the compromise. That's the order it goes in. You kind of fear it, and then all the what ifs, and then you then will compromise. Missionary, senior missionary over me when we were on the field taught me something really good. He said, when you think long, you think wrong. If God's asking you to obey him in something, and you think, well, 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 should I, should I, should I, should I? You think long, you think wrong. Obey. Obey the Lord. Walk in obedience. All the way, right away, with a happy heart. Because we saw this in Peter last week, and we're seeing it in Pilate now. You know what that tells us? This is no respecter of persons because Peter was a believer. Pilate is a non-believer. And here they both are seeking their own reputation, seeking their own ego, seeking safety instead of obedience and standing on principle. No one's immune from being a people pleaser. Look at Proverbs 29, 25. This is actually where I got the sermon title from. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. That's one step to overcoming this. Number one is we trust in the Lord. Trust God with the circumstances. What if I lose my job? Trust God. What if they laugh at me? Trust God. What if they talk about me behind my back? Trust God. What if the conversation's awkward and weird? Trust God. Many of you in this room can tell me stories, I'm sure, about when you faced one of your worst what-ifs, and it happened, and then what God did for you after that. I know. I know you can. I feel very sure that you can. Well, Jesus would go to the cross as it's written of him. But of course, woe to those people who acted wickedly to get him there. I read some earlier from John 19, but I stopped at verse 10. But that's not where the conversation stops. Let me read verse 11 to you from John 19, because after Pilate starts talking about what authority he has over Jesus, Jesus says something about authority. John 19, 11, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Anything and everything that happened to Jesus was because the Father allowed it, the Father orchestrated it, the Father ordained it. Nothing was going to happen to Jesus Christ that wasn't the plan of the Father. Pilate's saying, I can do to you whatever I want to do to you. And Jesus says, back up. Actually, you can't do anything. And Jesus adds these two words, at all, if it had not been given to you, granted to you by my Father. So let's give credit where credit's due. It's actually my Father who causes everything to happen to me. The truth that God has sovereign authority over all the affairs of man helps you fight against being a people pleaser. It starts with trust. Trust in what? That God is sovereign and has absolute authority over everything that comes into my life. That fights fear 
better than almost anything else I can think of at all. Because when we fear, your fear always comes from the uncertainty, doesn't it? I mean, think about fear. It's always fear of, well, I don't know what might happen if I do this. What if I do this and this? What if it's always rooted in uncertainty? Well, you know who is certain about the future? It's your father. And last I checked, for those of you who are Christians, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. Either you believe it or you don't, right? It comes down to trust and who God is and what he said and his character and sovereignty over all matters. God has all authority over everything that happens in your life, Christian. Everything. Why would you fear then? Especially, why would you fear man? I talked about those awkward conversations earlier. It's going to be an awkward conversation on Judgment Day when God is asking you, so you said this, but you know that's not true, and you did this even though you know you shouldn't. Why? Well, they might laugh at me. That seems a bit more awkward when you're standing in front of the God of the universe with a lame excuse like that. All my excuses for why I've sinned, guess what? Are equally lame. And with God's help, I've learned from them. And because of 1 John 1, 9, he picks me back up. And he helps me keep going because Jesus has already taken the punishment for all that foolishness that's ever come out of Cohen Ezel's mouth. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise Jesus for that truth. Why would you please man instead of God? Remember what Jesus said in Luke 12, 4 through 7? He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. I will warn you whom you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not two sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You're of more value than many sparrows. There's one with authority whom we are supposed to fear. We're to have a healthy, reverent respect and love, trust for this God who's totally trustworthy and totally in control. And I'm simply to submit to his will and trust him in all things. I tell the children very often, my children, you know, I wish I had, I wish I had your job. All you have to do is do what daddy tells you. You don't have to think about anything. It's really easy. I said, you've got the the good end of the, of the gig here. All you have to do is listen to what daddy says and do it. I'm the one that's got to think through everything, make sure we have all this, make sure I've planned it all out, make sure I'm not making the wrong choice. I, I've got all the stress of figuring it all out and making sure we're going in the right path. You just have to do what daddy says. That's the easy part. Being the leader is the hard part. And I was thinking, well, then I've got the easy part when it comes to being a Christian. I just have to submit to God's will and trust him. 
but I make it so, so difficult. <laughs> Which is why I'm up here preaching sermons like this. I hit a few speed bumps, and hey, if I can help you avoid them, I want to. So Jesus says, there's actually one who we should fear, and it's the Lord. Because he's the one who has authority over where we go after we die. Either heaven, if by faith we have repented of our sins, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection, we go to heaven. Why? Because our sins have been forgiven. Jesus has taken the punishment for them. Or, if I refuse God's gracious offer for forgiveness, God will be a just judge and give me exactly what I deserve for all of my wickedness, which is death in hell forever. Because that's what I deserve for spitting in God's face with all of my sins for all of those years. Your remedy for having an unhealthy fear of man is having a right fear of God instead. That's your remedy. In the end, it wasn't the angry cries of the crowd or, or Pilate or the chief priests who put Jesus on the cross. Was it? Our sin did that. But when sin entered this world, so did a promise. In Genesis three fifteen. After the sin of Adam and Eve, the Lord promised that the seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the serpent. God's own son, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, who became the God-man, he perfectly kept the law in our place, the law that we've broken continually, and he willingly took the punishment that you and I deserve for being lawbreakers. He died as a lawbreaker, though he was the perfect lawkeeper. He died as an unjust man, though he was the only just man, and took the punishment that you and I deserve. Shedding his blood, died, was buried, rose again from the dead on the third day. Which sealed the new covenant that we are a part of. In Christ, which we celebrate with the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate together after I pray. Will you bow with me? Father, we're so grateful for these wonderful truths, and Lord, we pray, please, when we feel the fear that leads to the what-ifs, that leads to the compromise, help us to trust. Trust what you say in your word. Trust that you are who you say you are, which will then Give us the ability to not fear man's opinion because what can man do to us? We instead have a healthy, right, reverent love and respect for you, Lord God. And we thank you so much for what you did for us. In Christ, it's in his name that we pray. Amen.